I'm Heidi Zuckerman. I've spent my life connecting people to art to make their lives better. This podcast talks about art in contemporary culture and why we should care. Each episode is an impactful conversation with people I find interesting and think you will too about their life, values, and always about why they think art matters. This is Conversations About Art. Hey everyone, these podcasts come together in a bunch of different ways and I have a couple of different sources where I get suggestions and ideas. And one of those is Chronicle Books. They have connected me with the Gorilla Girls and today they connected me with Ralph Steadman. I was really interested in speaking with Ralph because of his long-standing relationship with Hunter S. Thompson. And having been a resident of the Roaring Fork Valley for such a long time, Hunter has such a huge presence there. I am excited to share this conversation with you and we'll get there in just a minute. I don't know about you, but I get most of my things done in the spaces between doing everything else. And I gravitate towards the things I can handle from an app on my phone. Kelly Klee Private Client Insurance believes that people with more to lose need better protection for what they cherish. I have insured not only my cars and homes with them, but also my personal art collection. They have an incredibly well-designed app that's not only aesthetic, but the user interface is superb. I can see each work in my collection and its currently insured value, as well as seamlessly and easily, literally from my phone, add new things as they're acquired. Insurance to me sounds like kind of a boring thing to talk about, but particularly in these uncertain times, I sleep way better at night knowing that the things I love are protected. So check out their website, kellyclee.com backslash Heidi. That's K-E-L-L-Y. K-L-E-E.com backslash Heidi, and they will make a $50 donation to Artadia, an art charity I've recommended for each qualified referral. These details are included in the show notes. Is there a piece of jewelry you would like to create? I'm excited to tell you about Best & Co, which offers a smarter way to acquire luxury jewelry. I wanted to create signet rings for each member of my family. Best & Co. worked with me to create a custom design and fabricate the rings. We all love them. The rings are a daily and physical reminder of our connection, even when we're not together. Whether you want to reuse sentimental stones from a family heirloom or create a piece that you've been dreaming about, Best & Co. can help you create it, and their effective and efficient business model allows them to provide significant savings to their clients. Clients regularly save as much as 30% and frequently more when compared with purchasing comparable high-quality pieces from traditional luxury jewelry retailers. So check out their website, www.bestincoaspen.com, and use discount code HEIDI2020 to receive 5% off of any item on Best & Co.'s website. I was just looking at it today, and honestly, there are a ton of things that I would like to use that discount code for. Also, if you're interested in creating a custom piece, you can email custom at bestincoaspen.com. That's B-E-S-T-A-N-D-C-O-A-S-P-E-N.com. And mention that you heard about Best & Co. on my podcast to receive the special discount. Ralph Steadman is a UK satirist, artist, cartoonist, illustrator, and writer whose work is synonymous with the counterculture of the 1970s. Renowned for his collaborations with the iconic American writer Hunter S. Thompson, he formed an unlikely duo that created gonzo journalism. This lifelong collaboration included the now legendary Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, originally published in Rolling Stone magazine, which has since become a cult classic. The subject of numerous books and documentaries, at 84, Ralph still turns his keen and critical eye to politicians and popular culture. He and I discuss nude models, the British tradition of cartooning, his first meeting 
with Thompson, American Presidential Politics, Suicide, Pre-Planning Memorials, The Gonzo Fist, Fax Machines, Travis Scott, Dirty Water Drawings, Animals, Passing Over and God, Sigmund Freud, Leonardo da Vinci, Johnny Depp, Learning to Draw, and Cremation. A bonus of this podcast is not only hearing him recite texts that he has written, but also describing some of his iconic friends in their accents. I've just thrown some salmon out for the birds. Do they like that? I don't know. It's out there now. So I'll see. It's just that uh, I usually get rid of things like that, you know, and the, behind the house. And it's extraordinary. Sometimes you get seagulls coming and they're huge things, you know, they, they're very greedy and I, I don't know. And I, I tell you what I'm sick of. Absolutely sick. Sick of for three pounds a month you can do this. For three pounds a month you can do something else. You can everything's for three pounds a month. Or, you know, or give I mean we get okay to the Salvation Army this year. And um that's okay, you know. They sort it out. You give them five hundred pounds, and they they can take you to do what they want. And I know that they need a lot of money for helping. And I think the Salvation Army does do good things, but there are so many of them that are a little bit on the too many side, you know. So, do you think the problem with three pounds a month is that it's not enough money, or that it's kind of like a fake number? Um, and a, they kind of trick people into to giving that amount because yeah. they think like, oh, three pounds a month is like the cost of a coffee. It's bothering me a bit, you know. I mean, there's so many things now. It's just unbelievable. I mean, it's become more of a, a, a virus itself, you know, than, than anything else. I don't, all, I don't all the some things. of it, I don't believe. It's just something... Uh, very irritating about uh, these different, they're jumping up all over the place. You know, we can do that. Yeah, we'll do it. We're safe for three pounds a month. Yes, good. Yeah. You know, and I felt, well, for what? You could sort of give three pounds a month to uh, to give three pounds a month. <laughs> you know, just leave it at that. <laughs> so it's just a, uh, it's a bit worrying, that's all. But but it's a bit spooky. And I'm not sure I believe it all, you know. Well, I think uh, I think to have a healthy skepticism about most things is a good idea. And right. that I think is kind of a characteristic probably of how you have been able to provide the kind of commentary on, on life that you've been able to is is to have that kind of criticality and and a skepticism at, at least yeah. yes the skepticism yeah i but i wanted to change the world you know and and as i say to people uh, and and after 60 years i've i've succeeded it's worse now than it was when i started <laughs> You know, I, I wanted to talk to you about that. And I know that that's been one of your goals and objectives. And it's it's something that is totally aspirational. And it it's something that, you know, I, I think a lot about too. And you now at, at 84 have the opportunity to to look uh, from, from a place of, of knowledge and experience over the course of your life. And I've yeah. been thinking a, a lot about this idea of a life well-lived and wondered yes. what you think well, about that. And I think about it now. I wish I was 48. <laughs> That's really what I feel. It's a horrible thing, the other. Um, my, my father, um, somebody said to him once, do you know, Mr. Stedman, 
I'm 70 today. And, you know, my father said, you bloody look it too, you see. <laughs> and he also, he said, the only thing he's noticed about growing older, and this is when he was in his, his late 80s, he said that the only thing he's noticed was the undertaker raises his hat to him. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and I suppose that's, you know, because the, the Lloyd's Bank down the road is now funeral directors. You know, it's... Uh, Strange how things are, you know. And um, it's just, I don't know, just odd, odd somehow. Makes me, and as all these uh, different, um, uh, well, there are different, there are different products now that are on the market. I mean, we went shopping this morning to get just a few things and, uh, there are so many things to, to choose from now. It's, and I wonder where the choice is a good thing. You know, past, I mean, everything is a, is a business in its way. And so many people are, are starting businesses for, without, with a little knowledge or something, and they become something. That's what they're selling, you know. And somehow it gets into the pro. I don't know. I think I'm probably becoming an old sourpuss, you know. <laughs> Everything's a bit, a bit spooky. Really. You said that you think that things are worse now than they were before. And... Yeah. And on some level, it's kind of an easy thing to say, right? And it's probably a pretty common thought, right? That that there are things that are worse now. And certainly this year has been super difficult. Oh, it's terrible, yes. Yes. Uh, but certainly some things are better than they were 60 years ago. Yes. What do you think? What do you think they might be? Oh, no, I, I, no. The, yeah, Sixty years ago, it was good. It was. I quite thought it was interesting because, there was, in a way, there was something clear, clear about it, clear enough for it to be changed, to try to change it. But mm -hmm. somehow now, I think it's it's. Uh, uh, well, there are even adverts now and. Television for for flea uh, flea ointment, you know, for, for your dog, you know, things are like. And I, oh my god! So I wonder whether she gets some for me. You know? <laughs> you know, so, so sixty years ago is is when you started your really when you started your career, and I was I was looking at the first image in your book, and it's right. of a of your sketchbook from from 1958, 1959, and there's an, an abstract work. And I hadn't realized that that you were, you know, starting with abstraction. I had a marvelous um, art teacher called Leslie Richardson, who sadly passed uh, two years ago. And um, we used to go to all the exhibition together after we became great friends, of, you know, and it was a, Really a pleasure to meet him, to go to the latest art show somewhere in London. And um, I used to go to him twice a week for art lessons at the Victoria and Albert Museum, you know, the Science Museum and the Natural History Museum, those three museums in South Ken. And uh, so much came out of that. You know, that was a... that. Because I also went to his life classes, and he he always he, he didn't sit and whisper to you about it. He speak out to the whole class, so oh. that they would be looking and drawing, and um, uh, they'd, they'd be getting you know if there was. 20 people in the class, 
there'd be 20 lessons, wouldn't there, really? You know, he'd say something to each of them and you'd be listening to what he was saying to someone else. And my favourite model of all time was a, a woman that had to have a break halfway through. She was a new mo model, you know, and her name was Stella. And she'd, she'd light up and start, start naked. She'd wander around looking at the drawings and... <laughs> It was so funny, <laughs> really kind of funny. So little things like that we remember, you know. Ah, oh, dear. I noticed that at the at the back of the book you have a, a list of of um, I think it's heroes or um, like people that you're giving extra special thanks to, and the Victoria and Albert Museum is included there. But so is Stella. When I started teaching for a while at the East Ham Tech College. And uh, I employed um, uh, a naked civil servant, you know. Um, uh, um, damn. Uh, uh, Quentin Crisp. Quentin Crisp, yeah. You remember him? Yes, he was, he was your naked civil servant? He was the naked civil servant, wasn't he? <laughs> That's where they did a film about him. Yes. What call that? <laughs> and... Uh, he lived. He went to live in New York eventually. I think that was. Uh, but what, and I, there was once I I asked him uh, because you've always done whatever I've told you to do. You know, sat there so like this, what that. Is there any special um, pose you, that no one has ever asked you to do, and you'd like to tr try it? So, oh yes. And he, the stool he was sitting on, he got up, picked it up, and put it above his head like that. And I like a champion. All right. I said, can you, can you hold that? I, oh, yes. And he held it for half an hour, just like that. That's amazing to do that, yeah. Yes, that was Quentin Chris. Was a, and he never, apparently, he never used to... Um, um, bother to dust his flat because he said it, it's pointless. It goes up and then it comes down again. <laughs> <laughs> Never thought of backing it or doing it like that. It was just a strange thing. I really don't know. I know I met him in New York, but I know he went to live there. I wonder where he lived in that interesting place somewhere. I suspect it was somewhere down downtown can you talk about when you first your first visit to the united states um yes i i i thought i've got to go sometime because it's, it's you know it it interests me to to go there and see what there is there because the interesting thing about their attitude to, to cartooning is that it's not like the english Way, because in England we have a tradition of Hogarth and Gilray and people like that, you know, and uh, they can take a cartoon and turn it into an insult and not see the point of it as just a cartoon, you know. And I was actually told by some, you know, I did a drawing of there was a woman at, at a Kentucky when I got to Kentucky. Uh, I was invited by Hunter Thompson to go to his the uh, uh, what's it called? It was a it was a, K a Kentucky club, you know, a sort of racing club or something. And uh, all his friends were there, and um, he uh, introduced me to a few of them. Here he is, as he told me, he's your guy, you know, as Rolf. So that's how he spoke all the time, you know. And uh, you know, and he said, "My God, when when I, when he saw me, you know, my God, they they said you were weird, but not that weird. <laughs> <laughs> you look something like a matted head geek with string warts." <laughs> but I, I never found out what a matted head geek with string warts is. At all. And anyway, I realised the difference was in that. Um, 
they were they they got uneasy when I was doing scribbles and sketches, you know. And and also, I took with me a, a little um, a Minox camera, not a full, but just a little Minox thing, you know, so I could hold it down here, you know, at waist height, and and take pictures of, you know, and I'd come across people in the street like some woman talking to a poor bloke who was hanging onto a water hydrant, you know. Uh, she's saying, why don't you get up and get a job? <laughs> you ought to be ashamed of yourself. Go and get up and get a job. And, and then he'd go, oh, leave me alone, lady. <laughs> Just leave me alone. Because I was going to New York first to, to take – take pictures of anything in the streets. That's why I had this minor. I wanted to get pictures of people not aware of the fact that I was taking a picture of them, you know. And uh, that was such a funny a funny one. And uh, there were so many poor buggers around that really were in a hell of a state. And I think this was long before they were doing for three pounds a month you can do this and you can do that this is you know this has been it was really bad do you think americans are more easily offended you know that's because they don't they don't have a tradition of it of that you know that cartooning if you're drawing somebody as a caricature you know they there is just there was never a tradition of that kind of thing, you know. They were, they were, um, although a bit, a bit literal, aren't they? A bit literal. That's a, a good word to use. Yeah, they're sort of. They don't quite see things in our way. I mean, like Trump, for instance, is he's the worst human being on the planet. But he was an idiot. I mean, doing that. And I, I did do it must well it was the kindest picture I've ever done of him and I did him as uh, Trumpelstiltskin you remember the Trumpels so I've done him as that you know because I was thinking I did of see that yeah and there's <laughs> another uh, image towards the end of the book where he's primarily naked um, and wearing like an American flag diaper yeah with a, oh, yeah. a lot of blood. Yeah. Well, he's a fouling. That was the idea. And then there was another one there, the Statue of Liberty Takers, that one. And um, he just is the worst. He's just terrible. You know, I can't, I don't, I don't really want to do anything about him again. You know, I think it's a, a waste of time, really. I don't know what you think of Biden, but I, I think he seems to be quite a different, you know, kettle of fish. I have the great pleasure of having been a, a longtime college friend of, of his son, Bo Biden. So I've had the oh, opportunity you know, you know, to, family. To, mm-hmm, to know Joe since college. Wow, really? I mean, since I was in college and Bo was in college, yes. Wow. So, which, is, which is really nice. Did he ever say he was going to be president? Did he ever say? I, I mean, I think that was always our hope, you know, when he would come yeah. and hang around the fraternity house. So, yeah. but it, it may have been just a useful idea that it would be cool to know someone who is the president. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Well, I quite like that. I mean, my favorite of all is uh, Ob- Ob- Obama. I think he's really a, a nice human being. Somehow he just seems such a reasonable person, you know. He's uh, written a um, the love, love new memoir. Land, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, yeah, that sort of thing. So he must have some ideal. And I, I did, I did also heard that he was Hawaiian. Is that right? Grew up in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and uh, I don't know who else there is that I would. Oh, Ronald Reagan. I don't know about him. He's okay. You know, they didn't worry me too much because we started when I came to America. I I was, it was suggested by a by um, a man called it was Pam and 
Dan, Dan Rattina and his wife, Pam. And they lived in, the Long, in Long Island. And that's how I first came to America. He said, why don't you come and stay with us, you know? And I thought, well, in an interesting way, that, that was quite good to do that, to have some of the go, you know, in America specifically. And um, that's what we, I did, I stayed with them. And I was rung up there by uh, J, uh, J.C. Suarez, who, you know, he's from Brooklyn, and he, and he, he spoke, he spoke up, you know. You know, England. Yes. Well, how do you like to go to ex how do you like to go to Kentucky and meet an ex Hells Angel that just shaved his head? So I said, oh, that's what's he do? And eventually I ended up calling him Tom uh, not uh, Thompson, but Johnson. I my name is John Johnson. I from Wisconsin, you know, that, 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 I think that's a, a song, isn't it? <laughs> anyway, I got, eventually got to call in Johnson, uh, Thompson. And uh, I, was, I was also um, asked by this magazine called Scanlon. To, Scanlon was the magazine that I went over, that I was rung up to go and do something for work for in America. And uh, Scanlon was the name of a little known pig farmer from Nottingham. It was really strange. And they called it that. And they had two, their, their goals at the time were to get Nixon impeached and then to take on the dirty kitchens of New York, you know. That, that, those are the things they wanted me to go and do. They'd asked some other cartoonist, whose name I now forget, um, to um, uh, he he was he was coming to a he was going to go to meet Hunter, and instead he decided to come to a festival of cartooning in England. <laughs> so that was quite a good thing to do. Because I met Hunter, but in um, it was in nine. Let me see. It was in the mid mid nineties when Hunter said, "I'd feel real trapped in this life role if I didn't know I could commit suicide at any moment." And I knew he was going to do it sometime. And I was I was rung up by uh, uh, a man called Joe Petro from Kentucky, saying, "Take your phone off the hook." Hunter's just committed suicide. The bullet hole is still through the cooker hood in in the kitchen in Al Farm, it's, uh, and the whole all the the, uh, the sheriffs of Aspen and around the Pitkin County sheriffs. There are about twenty five of them. They all came to the house and stood over the hunter's body with one of his books. You know and read a, a page, just as a mark of respect. I think they all liked him, you know, that he was living in that place. I actually went with him to, to a funeral director's to talk about his memorial. Years, years before that, when I'd only met him in about two years, and then I was talking, and he wanted to talk about, about this piece of land he bought in Kentucky. Uh, in Colorado, our farm, with 23 acres behind it. And um, he wanted to uh, discuss his his memorial, you know, the, how he would have it and so forth. And that's what we eventually did was a memorial to him, you know, with all his... I think um, there was another man, Benton. Tom Benton. Tom Benton, who who um, did the original design because he was a friend of Hunter's and, you know, he'd already done designs for it, you know, and I think he wanted he wanted to do the fist and like that. Because I drew, drew the fist and I did it like that. You see. And Hunter said, two thumbs, Ralph, two thumbs. 
and he made it look, you know, like that. It's very difficult, very strange thing that he came up with that idea that it, that's Gonzo, that's a Gonzo fist, you know. Yeah, Tom Tom Batten was a was an Aspen guy and yes, did the right. original. Yes, um, Hunter S. Thompson for sheriff. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And there's a film about that too. You know, a whole film about the whole idea. His idea was to have a an, uh, a desk to put outside his office as sheriff's office if he became sheriff. And so they could listen to people complaining about any any drug worth taking shouldn't be paid for. That was his his idea of things. So that's what he thought, you know. So I don't know whether I can find that thing, but I also there were a, there's a bunch of them together that looked pretty iffy, you know. I remember re drawing them as a as a group. Saying, uh, vote, you know, vote, vote now, and I'm, I'm uh, was it vote for sheriff and vote before he shoots. That was it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, anyway, those are those funny days. God, it seems so long ago now. Well, I suppose it was really 1970. How long ago was that? 50 uh, years. Oh, god. Frightening, isn't it? Can Can you talk a little bit about the idea of My Gonzo time. and and Gonzo journalism and Gonzo imagery and and what what that means to you and 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 what that meant to you and, Hunter, and what the appeal Hunter, is? Hunter never heard of you know it was Bill Cardoza. He's from Sosalito, you know, across the bridge, and. Um, he the first thing he saw of ours, which together we you know, and I did the drawing, and he said, "Hey, to Tanta, hey man, that's pure Gonzo." And I, Gonzo, what the fuck's Gonzo? So, uh, um, I said, well, it's just Gonzo, man. It's just great, you know. It's crazy. What do you mean? I like that Gonzo. It's a nice word, a good word. Yeah, okay. Let's call it Gonzo, and that's how it came about. But it's a Portuguese word, and it means hinge, which I suspect I've always thought that it was unhinged. Exactly. That's what it must be, you know. And uh, so it stuck, you know. People started. Uh, I've still got some letters from him. You know, he was—he wasn't very good with. Electronics, you know. Well, I'm not better either. But he he really didn't like it. He liked the fax machine because it was like typing, and then you know you see the piece of paper come out, and it was it was fundamental, um, absolutely clear. You know that whatever you typed, you could actually print it out. You know. And he was always talking about the fax machine, you know, but not, um, not. Oh, that was another thing. Uh, I took him down to our local pub when he came over here, and uh, um, what was it? Uh, she was regal. I said Martin was the name of the publican down there, and I introduced him to Hunter and. He he told me afterwards how kind Martin was because he he lent me his gun and his daughter. <laughs> <laughs> and um, uh, he, um, you know how we do these little optics of of a measure of, you know. I said, Martin, you better make that three measures, you know, one, two, three, and put it in front of him. And Hunter said, what's that, a sample? 
<laughs> so he, he had a little whisper afterwards. Uh, he said, "I think perhaps you better buy the buy the Shiva's Regal yourself and and now license somewhere, you know, in a in a liquor store, and um, leave it behind the counter here. So when he comes in, because he went in every day, you know, he was going down to see." Martin, who said how nice he was. He enjoyed talking with him. And I, I think I should imagine um, that he um, got on quite well with the people down at the pub. You know, it's quite a friendly pub. And this is when Martin was still there because he went to live in Spain eventually. Um and the man that owns it at the moment, I mean, uh, people can't go in pubs, can they? Or are they? No, the little one. It's all finished well, at the moment. I mean, it's the, that's the most disgusting thing I can think of, is the germ, you know, the virus. It, it's such a, it must be such a filthy thing. I mean, I notice a, that the, the last image in your book is, is an image it, of the virus. It's too, and too nice. It has kind of a face. Yes, yes, it does, but it 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 uh, it doesn't really. It's not nasty enough, actually. It's not actually because it almost seems like it's smiling, you know, in a, yeah, no, it's, or at it's, least it, like, it has a mouth. Yes, just yeah, it has one. right. Just the yeah. I should draw it. I should. Draw, what I do sometimes is I. Um, Put a piece of paper on the floor, and if I want to be washing my brushes in or pens in the water, the water gets dirtier and dirtier. And if you leave it long enough, it gets smellier and smellier. And the dirtier and smellier it is, if you pour some of it splat onto the paper and then leave it to dry, which takes about three or four days. The smellier and dirtier it is, the more textural it becomes. It's interesting that that's um, something that I've learned. So I started doing dirty water pictures. You know, pictures where the dirtier the water, the more texture I'd have in it, and not trying to draw texture because you can't really draw texture. It's it is something that is much more natural. You know, no more. Uh, evocative of of something natural, and uh, I don't know. Just seems to me. I'd never heard of these guys before. Um, uh, Travis, Travis Scott. Had you heard? Did you know Travis Scott? You, I you, did. I did. I I I like rap music and and hip hop music. My kids think it's hilarious that I do, but. I was going to ask you about the Travis Scott project. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I spoke to him on the phone, you know, and not really knowing. I'll send some pictures and I'll, um, I'll, do, I'll try and do something from that, you know. I won't, I won't, I won't be too... Um, uh, well, I'll just try to make it fun, you know, because... Were you going to say you wouldn't be too critical? I wasn't, wasn't going to be too critical, yeah. I wasn't going to make mm -hmm. it nasty because it should be funny in some way and i i just think that uh yeah i listen i listen to some yeah but i really don't like it much i'm not that keen on it but it was a nice enough fella and his friend Giorgio or whatever his name Kramer, huncho jack and jack huncho i mean i Munch, Muncho, I mean, you know, they 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 don't leave a lasting impression. And I've, I've just been reading a book about Bob Dylan that goes more into the life of um, the imposition, the the police. It's it's called uh, grown up anger. And um, it's it's a it's it's really more about the official nature of of 
authority. It's quite interesting in one way, because I believe there was a concert of Bob Dylan's when he first changed over to electric from ordinary guitar, and somebody shouted traitor, and he shouted Judas back at them, you know. And uh, I believe that happened and upset, you know, a lot of people were wanted the old Bob Dylan thing, the folksy kind of sound and not electrified. So that's an interesting thing about, about um, authority being the mask of violence, that in a way it is the whole of the whole of the sort of music scene changed, electrified and sort of changed entirely as it became more of a, well, not so much a, a sound from the heart, but actually something from an electric current, you know, that was going, going on. And I do take a picture with a, with a click camera still, you know, on the floor if I want to do it. I, I did one recently, of a, a Christmas a Christmas cheer one, which I did as miserable as sin, you know, made it horrible blacks and yeah, and would look about it <laughs> to be Christmas cheer. Because this year has been one of the most, well, this has probably been the worst year we've ever known, really, in our the last time was the black the plague, you know, the um, black plague or something it was called, I think, thirteen forty eight. That was the last time we had anything as bad as that. When two million people, two hundred million people, rather, were killed and died horribly, I should imagine. And it was just so one of one of the things that comes up in the introduction to the book and and in a lot of uh, kind of media around you is is a, a highlighting of kind of the the difference of how people might think you are based on some of your imagery uh, you and and how and how you and how you present. So <laughs> I'm horrible. Well, I should do some more bleh stuff, shouldn't I? Really, I should, and I shouldn't be talking to you nicely at all. I should be as rude as anything, you know. <laughs> it's funny. Well, I think it's, I mean, there's often a gap between perception and reality. And I think people often want to uh, assume the most simple uh, about anything, right? Like if someone makes this kind of image, they must be this kind of person. Or if someone plays this kind of role as an actor, they may, you know, they must be that kind of person. Um, but I, I do wonder, not just about that kind of gap, you know, but you you talked about how what you're creating exists in your head and, and that putting them on paper is an opportunity to kind of, to a- allow that kind of escape. Well, I usually like to do that kind of drop it on the floor and see what happens approach these days. My foot, my, my, um, my dirty water pictures are much more sort of invented now, you know. Like they sometimes a face jumps out of it almost, which is quite interesting. But I don't really know what to do with them unless I, I wrote. Uh, I wrote something. I don't know whether I wrote it in here. It was the idea of drawing something, doing something, and then writing a story from this, from what happened, you know, like, judgment and judgment should not be involved. Shot through with politics, separation of powers, not territory for political hanky-panky, proroguing, oh, proroguing government regulate inappropriate, get back to work. You wanted to talk about how when when you make the, the first gesture, the splatter, that you find a face or, or there, there's something there that is maybe, uh, the way that I was hearing it is that you're 
you're releasing something that needs to be shown. And whether it already exists within the splatter or whether it's coming out of your consciousness, it, yeah. it could be both. I, saw, I remember that I think of things like always follow your instincts. Something negative tells you something in a brain could be Jason or is it Cowley feeling sourly for moments hourly speaking Dali, now at least I am thinking like a tower, more power, roaring, scoring, not boring, enduring, powering gallons down waste pipes like all hypes. Oh, that was written the 12th of the 12th, 08. Good God. I, I'm, that's far too. Um, that's far too creative for me. I, I can't do that now. That's a marvelous museum, you know, for looking at things. It's uh, spooky too, and, and so okay, you know. I'd, you know, I actually really learned to see at the V&A. Also, I, I spent yeah. a year at Christie's in London, and. In the afternoons, we were sent to the VNA to sketch, and I have zero talent sketching. Um, but it wasn't really about that. It was getting us to really look uh, and somehow describe what we were seeing. It made us look in a in a different way. That's right. Yes. Yeah. What is a different way or an informed way? You know. And sure. You you actually begin to see what you're looking at and knowing how to express it somehow. And that's what's happened with me over the years. And as I get older, I think I'm losing some of that desire to do it, except that I like the idea of the dirty water going off, you know. Aging is uh, perhaps an interesting way to look at it all. what kinds of things have, have caught your eye over time? Like who, some of the politicians, those seem like likely subjects, you know, for, for what you're interested in. Um, but, but what kind of things capture your, your attention or your eye? Uh, well, animals look suddenly like a politician or vice <laughs> versa. You know, that can, that happens. And, uh, I find that, I mean, I brought a piece of rock, it's over there, it's on, it's on a pedestal. I've um, brought it all the way back from, from Hawaii. Mm. And uh, I mean, I think at the time you could bring such things that you can't bring them back now, but it was in, I just had a hold all with that in it, you know. I mean, it's just this big, you know, and it's... Uh, like that, like a head, and that's what it is, really. And it looks as if it had a face on it, so I brought it back. Now, perhaps I shouldn't do. Perhaps I should have left it where it was. But it's there. It's, it exists now, you know, sort of thing. And uh, I, I would like to try and think at least about one one more book if I could. And. It should start from a point, which I can't imagine, except maybe one of those things that I just found, that Sadie found, that would start me on a journey. See, I, recently uh, we lost a friend, lovely friend, Hal Wilner. Do you know Hal Wilner? He was a music buff you know he knew all about Saturday Night Live Live, he did he was the music uh, arranger on that and uh, he was one of the first to go earlier this year Mm. and um, it was so sad and he used to sit out the back here and just you know he had a a slightly deep voice too as well you know uh, that got him that must be one of the first and then the Hmm? COVID. COVID, yeah. And the other person, a friend of mine, was um, 
uh, Keith Newstead, and he used to make um, he makes uh, he made all these things. Mm. I'm trying to. I I wish I could come to terms with it in a in a sort of friendly way. The idea of nothing, you know, but it's it's a. I mean, it's a kindly word, passing, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's just passing on to somebody, and then people have this other. You see, I done I done another book called the, the Big I Am. I don't know whether you know that one. The Big I Am is about God. You know, I'd done the book of Sigmund Freud, and he he did a he did he wrote about. Um, Leonardo da Vinci as the man who woke up in the dark. So I wrote a song about that, you know, and I have that song. And uh, there's, um, uh, yeah, that's what I had to do. I had to go to to Vienna to the ninth district, find its house, and I was I'm by the the um, the they what do they call them? The uh, caretaker, if you like. You know, could I see the room where Freud used to interview patients, so-called patients? You know, I mean, a lot of them were rich ladies in Vienna who had nothing else to do that day and went to Sigmund Freud and got chatted up. You know. I mean, he must have enjoyed some of it, you know, funny. And um, <laughs> I found it, and it was went downstairs to the actual consulting room, and it still had in it the um, sink, like, you know, the square sinks, white sink, old, old-fashioned sink, had that. Yeah. And I said, where was the, where was the uh, consulting couch? You know, and it was, I was told where it was just here. So I lay down on the floor there with this, my little camera and took pictures of, of the walls and everything to see just what it looked like if you were one of Freud's patients. Because I eventually had to, well, I did do a drawing of sitting in a position where Freud would be talking to you, you know. And the, the old wallpaper is still on the wall from the 30s. Amazing, really, to see it, you know. But it was all there. And also where his barber had been and the Café Lantman where he used to go and have a lunch, midday lunch, uh, that's there. And all those things I had to try and remember to, to get a record of somehow, you know. It's an interesting... It's an interesting idea because when you would think about someone interacting with Freud, you would think that they were spending a lot of time kind of in their own head, right? And and seeing what's in the space of their brain. But actually they would be looking around. They they would be looking at the wallpaper and they would be looking at him and they would be looking yeah. at the ceiling. Yes, that's exactly what they doing that. And that's how I tried to catch things, you know, and his life. What are the things of which you're most proud? Uh, I think the Leonardo book was most interesting, particularly as as it was Freud who sent me on that path because he wrote that Freud was the man, that Leonardo was the man who woke up in the dark. And I was able to, you know, go, go and uh, see where Freud had lived. Leonardo. Uh, what am I talking about now? Freud. Leonardo. <laughs> Leonardo had lived. Good job, Sadie's here listening to what. Actually, listening to what I'm saying. She said it all before. Some of it not. No. Oh. And oh well, that's something anyway. And uh, uh, I wouldn't have done the Leonardo book if I hadn't done the Freud first. Because when when Freud said he was the man who woke up in the dark, it was such an interesting idea to do a book about the man who had woken up, as it were, before anyone else, to the 
spectacular nature of life as it changes and evolves. Sometimes it, sometimes it, it uh, in, probably improves, and sometimes it's doing what it's doing now, which is being sucked down into God knows awful. I mean, I don't think we've seen the worst of this yet. You know, I mean, this people are talking about Christmas and. Well, don't say that you're getting the vaccine on Saturday. What? <laughs> you're having your being vaccinated on Saturday. Oh, yes, I'm being vaccinated, yes. I've got to be vaccinated. <laughs> but I don't oh. know whether it, it'll happen. Hmm? I, 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 I don't know where, it's which side is it. I don't know where it's, I don't, probably this side. And higher up, too, than usual. I mean, I had a flu jab, but the other one, I don't know where he put. Then I've got to go 21 days or something after that for a second one, haven't I? It's, it's horrible. So did, I'm not, did you well, did you enjoy did you enjoy having uh, Johnny Depp make the documentary about about your life and your work? Oh yeah, he um, yeah he. Did did you see that thing about um, the man who painted himself blue? You know, the, have you seen that picture? There's a singer. Uh, he was an Irish singer, and Johnny Depp was involved in that because he painted himself all, all blue. Okay. Blue drawings of the bedroom that he was in, and it was all blue. Everything was blue in it. But what about the documentary about your, that he did about you and your life and, and your practice? Did you enjoy that? Yeah. That, for no good reason. No good reason. Oh, yes, for no good reason. Mm -hmm. for no, Charlie Paul. Charlie Paul was coming down here quite often, and he would sit by the side while I was drawing something, and he had quite a lot of footage of those early years doing that. And he eventually did this film, which I called for no good reason, because it was a way of being, um, well, not taking myself seriously, if you know what I mean. You just say, for no good reason we did this. You know? So he was, but he was very keen to do it. So, and I was still young enough to call for no good reason, because I really am a waste of space, really. So... <laughs> And I don't, I, I don't want to know you're not, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I have to, uh, not, not just, not just to counter your, your saying so, but, but because it's true. And the mm -hmm. idea of putting yeah. your creativity and, and, and thoughts out into the world and to circle back to how we started yeah. with these lofty goals of trying to make the world better. I mean, that's not everyone wakes up every day wanting to do that. And it's, it's hard. That's a hard, that's a hard way to live, to, to be committed to making things better. I, I, I started going to the de Havilland Aircraft Company as an apprentice when I was 16. And um, after nine months, I had to leave because it, I couldn't stand factory life. Standing every day doing something futile, and uh, I remember staying with a an, an auntie. Uh, what was her name too? Endermann. And uh, I didn't know what to do, and I was had to do military service in in two years. And I suddenly saw in a newspaper, "You too can learn to draw." And earn pounds, <laughs> and it not was a, three pounds a month. No, no, it was an earn pound, <laughs> yeah. and it was the Percy V. Bradshaw Press Arts School course at Forest Hill, and I even went to see him because all the cartoonists of the day, Illingworth and and uh, uh, Giles and um, uh, Cummings and there's a few others, were were doing lessons for him and uh, and I the, the one called 
the one called Illingworth, sort of a Welshman, and I, I eventually met him, met up with him uh, in Fleet Street, you know, the um, newspaper street, and and he said, I said, have you got any advice, you know, from? And he, he says, yes, get the sack. He said, get the sack. So that was a good, good, because I, for a while I did some agent stuff where I would be asked to do a series of cartoons like a pack of cards, you know. And I thought, I couldn't go on doing that forever more. And it eventually did fall apart. Because I eventually, eventually did uh, work in a, in a room that they'd found for me uh, at the... Um, in the Sunday Times office in down in Fleet Street, they got they got a, a literary agent, Alec, Alec Harrison, his name was, and they got me uh, they got me a, a table in there in in the waiting room, and I was doing things. And there were people looking, what, "What are you doing?" And if, you know, I I got used to it. And some of them are quite friendly, you know. They say, "Oh, meet me for a drink after we, you know. It's interesting what you're doing here, you know." And that that was quite because a lot of them, you know, being literary agent, they was they were all people trying to sell books, you know. So they were asking you to do drawings for their books and stuff like that, you know. And uh, there were so many that I didn't take up. By the way, the thing about the they they used to have another thing that was a, a pollutant in England that was uh, and it was it was it was based on on the exhaust fumes, but they called it another thing, um, and it really was when cars were well anything was on the road and nothing was forbidden you know you could just do anything, and I think from that. Early, those early days, uh, we really didn't um, care them about what it's a it's the fresh air, you know. It's do anything with it, and we're suddenly finding out that we couldn't, we can't do anything with it. Is there anything that I I didn't ask you that you wanted to to end we, with? Yes. Do you know what we do to people who will not talk? No. So you will not even tell us that. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a joke I'm thinking of. It's like Monty Python, isn't it? It's a bit like Monty Paul Python, Williams, yeah. Spike Milligan. Spike Milligan, yes. He was, he was mar marvellous when on his grave it said, I told you I wasn't feeling well. That's what he's got as his grave. <laughs> it's epitaph. Yeah. I was struck by your honesty in talking about not being able to necessarily make peace with the idea of passing and and then how you followed up right away pretty much with the reference to the book you had made about God and belief and we're living in a time where uh, uh, these big issues that maybe we can go through years without thinking about we're now thinking about kind of on a daily level and and I think your work really is incredible in that way because it it gets us to think about things that we might otherwise want to ignore um, but it puts it right in front of us because the way on a on a sun, sunday here if you have the church service on on the i mean they talk so literally about some bloke sitting on a cloud you know it's so daft so it's, it's really quite daft i don't know there's no imagination in it at all. It could be something else. I mean, it might even be the virus itself that we've got, we're living with at the moment. And that is part of the God that supposedly exists out there. And he's, he's actually a bloody nuisance, and he's just playing with us, you know, and seeing how many sufferings could happen in a day or a week, you know. Because um, they do a daily thing. I mean, it's it's terrible, really. I don't know. I've I've never known a thing so bad as that, except that the Black Death. You know, 
13, and I, that and the, 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 the year I remember, 1348, I remember it well. I was there at the time. <laughs> Perhaps I should do a book about them. The black, the black, the black, white, the white, the black, white death, or something of that kind, and do something as dismal as I can do, and then put in the RDP and hurry. And there you go. Well, I think we've come up with three, at least three new book ideas for you, uh, and and the goal of at least ninety years. Um, so we we know what you're going to be doing. Yes. Yes, my father was ninety-four when he went, and my mother was eighty-nine. So she went on a bit longer, but I prefer—I think they're talking about that. I think cremation is the best thing. There can't be many more bodies laid in a huge, bloody, deep hole. I just burn people, you know. On that note, I think that's I think that's the perfect way to end. <laughs> thank you, thank you for talking with me today. It, it, it's an honor and a pleasure. Thank you, Heidi. Bless you, Heidi. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Conversations about art is part of Heisey.art a multi-platform project that connects all to art through a podcast series, books, talks program, brand collaborations, TV, and more. This episode was produced by Simon Illa. Our theme music was composed by Eric McDougall. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and review us on whichever platform you listened, as it helps us further our goal of connecting all to art. We will be back again every Tuesday with new episodes. Thanks so much for listening.